Well, we continue um, our study in the book of Genesis, but we were blessed last week to hear about the four storms of life, and I think it was really helpful for us to um, have our hearts prepared for this message from Genesis 37. So if you will, um, turn in your Bibles to Genesis 37. We're going to start, as we always do, by reading God's Word. Um, It is an important, critical, crucial, important part of our service each morning when we get to gather, when we get to read God's Word, hear what He has to say to us from it specifically, and then we have an opportunity to to dig a little deeper into His Word. So if you would follow along with me, I'll read um, Genesis chapter 37 for us this morning. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his other brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, the sheaf arose, my sheaf arose, and stood upright. And behold, Your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock of Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said, said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came up, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing their flocks. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, He rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take this life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to rescue to restore him to his father. 
So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. They sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, with the camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And the brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, The Midianites had sold him, Joseph, in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the the lessons we can have spoken into our very lives. Lord, how we can sometimes see the posture of our heart is similar to those who have gone before us. Lord, we know there's nothing new under the sun and man continues to walk in ways that are estranged from your will, from your way. Lord, that are devoid of wanting to give you any kind of glory. Father, that walk without any kind of hope. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this study through the book of Genesis as we um, continue to be um, just disciples who desire to be molded by your word to be impacted and and taught by your Holy Spirit, Father, so that we can walk forward in newness of life, the newness of life that we have in Christ Jesus. Father, we rejoice that we are new creations and that we are not who we once were. But Father, we recognize that we were bought with a price, and so help us to reflect that in all that we do and all that we say. In Christ's name, amen. In your teaching outline, You'll see that I've titled this passage today, Pride and Our Selfish Heart Breeds Sinful Actions. Pride and Our Selfish Heart Breeds Sinful Actions. We're reminded that man's flesh and the pride of life fights for self-preservation. We want to protect ourselves. We want to do everything we can to to survive. We also fight for self-righteousness. We walk in our own strength, in our own ways, to try and present ourselves just before God. And we always will fall short when we live that out. We walk in ways that are self-justifying, where we try and make excuses for our actions and try and justify them before the Lord. 
saying that we have a true reason to have responded or acted a certain way. Ultimately, all of these things are for self-glorification rather than Christ being glorified in our lives. And so in this account today from Genesis 37, we'll, we'll dig deeper into this story to really understand what transpired and what happened. And lastly, we're going to look and consider really how we need to respond today to this account, this historical account. We praise the Lord for that. Are our actions going to or possibly deter any of God's plans in our life? Do we raise ourselves up to be so powerful in our life that that we could possibly even thwart God's plans, His will? We're reminded that we are His creation, that He is the Creator. He is all-powerful. Not only that, He's all-knowing. So when it comes to will, He has the foresight into the future. He's an eternal God, and we are merely temporal beings living out temporal situations with our eyes micro-focused on our own world, on our own desires, on everything that's impacting us. Yet God sees all things, and He knows all things. And we have great joy in that. Because we can go pretty side, we can go sideways when we look at our own life and we see all the things that are happening amongst us. So the question is, can yours and my sinful actions actually negate God's ultimate plans? Are we so prideful or so boastful in our minds that we actually think that our power and our actions can cause God's plans to not come to fruition? to bring about what he's actually covenanted to us, to what he's prophesied, to what he's given us for an eternal hope, to how we see this book of God's, the Holy Word, come to its complete fruition in the book of Revelation. In your outline, you'll see a comment there that despite man's and Satan's best efforts for self-glory, for self-preservation, and even to intentionally, at times, derail God's sovereign will, God's hand and plan will never be thwarted. There's absolutely nothing we can do to derail God's plans for our life and for this world, for his creation. Number one in your teaching outline, you'll read the the statement there, our position and practices, though honoring to God, though honoring to God and others, may not be met with receptiveness and respect. When we try to live out God's will for our lives, when we operate in our identity in Christ, we can't expect for all of our actions, for all of our deeds to be met with receptiveness from the world around us, certainly not. And sometimes we're not respected at all. As we finished out chapter 36, Pastor James reminded us that we actually move from chapter um, 36 We move out from Esau onto his sibling to Jacob. So now the story, this account of of Jacob, we have moved from Rachel and Isaac and we we move back to an account of Jacob. And it's an interesting start to this chapter. Verse 1, if you remember, it said Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. And then it starts out with the, the generations of Jacob and immediately it starts to give us the account of Joseph. And it picks up the passage when Joseph is 17 years old. And we're told that Joseph is out pasturing the flock with his brothers. 
told that he was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, and we remember that he was orphaned, at least from his mother, that his mother passed while his brother Benjamin was being born. It's reminded that he grew up without his own birth mother. Now, it's interesting that right off the start in this chapter, we read that Joseph brought a bad report of them, of his brothers, to his father. Now, we might consider that and look at it and say, well, he was tattling on his brothers, right? He's, here he is, this tattletale. He's going to um, just snitch on what his brothers are doing or what maybe they're not doing. And that kind of really sets the tone for this chapter. Had Jacob asked Joseph to give an account? Well, we don't know at the very beginning of the chapter, but we know later on in the chapter that he specifically sends Joseph out to give an account of how his brothers are doing and how the flocks are doing. So potentially that could be why he offered this account. What we certainly know is that Jacob was truthful. Right? He wasn't trying to protect his brothers. He was trying to be honest and respectful to his father to give an accurate account of, of what his brothers were doing. We also see in this account that Joseph is the benefactor of his father's love his father's bias even towards him. Jacob loved Joseph more than all of his sons. And the reason why we're told in this chapter is because that Joseph was the son of his old age. He was given preferential treatment above and beyond his brothers, and we're told specifically that there was this special gift that Joseph had. And it wasn't a gift that you filed away, that you received, and maybe you used up. It was a gift that he would wear all the time. And later in this passage, we, we already read um, that when he approached his brothers and they schemed up their plan to kill him, he was wearing this robe. What was specific about this robe or this tunic? It was multicolored, right? Now, it's considered that this was something really extravagant, right? This tunic that was given, this, the colors would have been symptomatic of somebody who was royalty, or maybe who had at least an elevated position amongst others. And certainly that's how it was received from Joseph's brothers. In verse 4, Joseph's brothers could see, and they certainly saw that their father loved Joseph more than any one of them. And we're told that they hated Joseph because of it. We're also told that they couldn't even speak peacefully to Joseph, but rather addressed him with contempt. What would those family conversations look like when there wasn't even a peaceable conversation that those brothers could, could have? They always spoke with contempt against Joseph if they even engaged him at all. I imagine there might have even been some passive-aggressive behavior where they completely ignored Joseph. They spoke at Joseph as if he was inferior. They spoke to him as they despised him. They rejected him, and there was a blatant open disrespect of him. And we already said, we already answered the question, did they have a reason for treating Joseph this way? Well, in their own eyes, they were justified for treating him this way because he was the favored son. He was receiving favor from their father that they felt they should have been loved in a similar and same way. Verse 5, we read that Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Now, surely Joseph knew what this dream might symbolize, or at least what it said about who he was and who his brothers were. 
And so as I'm reading this passage and praying through it, my question is, what possessed Joseph to share this dream with his brothers? We're just told that they spoke to him with contempt all the time. Was this going to be something that would, would be favorable? That they would actually make amends? Was it going to be helpful in their relationship as brothers? Would it show humility towards his brothers? Or would it suggest that Joseph accepted his elevated position amidst his brothers? Maybe he was completely ignorant of it. It'd be hard to imagine that since they spoke to him with contempt. In your outline, point C, Joseph tells his dream to, the bro- to his brothers and they hated him more. They hated him, they hated him more. So here is the first dream, and you decide how you would receive this from someone you struggle to feel inferior to. Verse 6 says, He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. They despised Joseph's, first off, for the simple dreams that he was having. That these were things that even he was dreaming of and thinking of. But also for his words, that he shared these things with them. Now the brother's hatred of Joseph wasn't diffused right, by hearing of this dream. It didn't help their relationship as brothers. It didn't build a, build a love that didn't exist amongst them. It didn't help them think rightly about their father's love for Joseph. In this next account, we're told that Joseph shares yet another dream. But this time, it's like throwing gas on the fire. And it's like throwing gas on a fire that his brothers are huddled closely around, right? They're singed. They're feeling the effects of, of this fire consuming and it's consuming them. But we also have an opportunity now to hear his father, how he responds to Joseph telling this dream. Perhaps Jacob's pride and position now came under threat. Right? He had been building up and showing favoritism to Joseph, and now all of a sudden, Joseph seemed to be saying that he would even be elevated above Jacob. So what will Jacob's response be? Joseph tells another dream to his brothers in verse 9. He says, Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Right? He's excited. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Then it transitions to where he seems to tell it again. He tells all, all of his brothers, including now his father in verse 10. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? So Jacob rebukes in your outline. Jacob rebukes Joseph, questioning him for his disrespectful dream. And his brothers were jealous of him, in verse 11. But his father kept the saying in mind. So at this point, we're told how not only Joseph's brother responded to his dream, but actually their heart's attitude towards Joseph. They hated him. They hated him even more. But now it's defined that this hatred was rooted in a jealousy of Joseph. It's clearly spelt out for us. 
Likewise, we're also told what Jacob does with this dream, right? He files it away in his mind for pondering, to think about it later, to consider it, what it might actually mean. So in your outline, the brothers were jealous, but Jacob kept this dream in mind. Now, we've read that Joseph was the highly favored son. He was above all other sons, even in spite of birth order, which would have played a dramatic and a, and a definite position within the family. But Joseph was lifted above all of them. We heard how Joseph's brother's attitudes towards him had grown in animosity, even greater and greater. That They started out, we're told in this passage, that they started out hating him, but then that grew even more. And then even more, they hated him. And in this next passage of our chapter, we're going to read how hatred of another will come to fruition if not dealt with properly. They didn't deal with this hatred that they had of Joseph. They let it fester. They let it grow until it would show itself in a, in a sinful act against Joseph, even against Jacob as well. Point number two in your outline, others may despise us, they may treat us with contempt, and they even may even persecute us, but God's purposes and plans cannot be overthrown. Such joy we can have even amidst Contempt from others, being on the recipient end of that, of great conflict, even being despised or persecuted, but we can rest that if we're faithful to the Lord, that his plans will come to fruition, that they will achieve what he has desired. John chapter 15, in the passage 18 through 21, Jesus tells us that the world will hate us. Why would the world hate us as believers? As believers, the Spirit of Christ dwells within us. We abide in Him and He abides in us. And all that we do, we do in faith. Just as we sang, yet not I, but Christ in me. So when people see us, when we're being faithful to the Lord to live out our life that is pleasing to Him and honoring to Him, they see Christ. How did they treat Christ? We aren't greater than Jesus that the world would see Christ living through us and they somehow wouldn't despise us like they despise Jesus. In fact, as faithful ambassadors of Christ, we can expect to even be persecuted. Why? Because Jesus was. And we know that he was persecuted even to the point of death. Our sinfulness persecuted Jesus. We drove the nails into his hands and his feet. And he willingly went there to pay the sin debt that we could never pay we would have to spend all eternity paying that debt. But God in his grace offered his son for us. So now we turn our attention to the fruit of the flesh. This hatred that is dug into the hearts and the very minds of Joseph's brothers now sees an opportunity, right? It sees an opportunity to seek its own benefit. These brothers want to glorify themselves and bring Joseph down, not only to their level, but as we read, to terminate him, to kill him. So this next chapter, if you will, of chapter 37, this next phase, Joseph is despised and sold, and he's sent by Jacob to the brothers and flock. And what happens? In verse 12, Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. That response, here I am, is a willingness 
to present yourself to another and to be sent. Just like Isaiah was willing to be sent. Verse 14, we read that Jacob asked for a report on the brothers and on the flock. Verse 14 says, So he said to them, to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. A man found him wandering in the fields. This is Joseph looking for his brothers. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers. He said, Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They've gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. So Joseph goes out to find his brothers so he can um, meet them and greet them and, and consider how the flock is doing, how they're doing, and be able to go back and give a report to his father. But where they said they were, they actually weren't. They had moved on to Dothan. Why Joseph is not with his brothers at this point, we can only speculate. Was he no longer welcome to be serving with his brothers? We read at the beginning of the chapter that he was with his brothers, with the flock. And now at this point, his brothers have gone off and Joseph is not there. He's at home. So we don't know if he's welcomed or not. Um, If he had been asked maybe to stay back or if he was so favored now that he didn't have to tend to the sheep like the other brothers did. We can only speculate. But what we are told in the next passage is that point C in your outline, the brothers see Joseph coming, and what do they do? Do they run to him with open arms, excited to see him? No, they plan to kill him. Verse 18 says, they saw him, Joseph, from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Just at the very sight of Joseph coming. They saw him from afar. How did they see him from afar? How did they know it was Joseph and not somebody else? Oh, he was wearing his special multicolored coat, right? Wearing it proudly. They saw him from afar, and before he came near, they conspired to kill him. Now, this conspiring to kill him, plotting his death, was a case of first-degree murder, right? There was definite premeditation, and not only that premeditation of of killing him, but thinking about how to complete it. What, what scapegoat excuse might be offered up to their father? And it says that all were in agreement. Now, specifically, all who were there were in agreement, all the brothers that were there. Because we read later on that there was a brother who was not there. Verse 19 says, They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come, now let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. Right? Summed up pretty nicely there that here Joseph has these dreams and they're despising him for his dreams. They don't want to see these dreams possibly ever come to to completion that they would bow themselves to Joseph, this one who might rule and reign over them. He already had a position over them and certainly they weren't willing to allow him this position of reigning over them. He's called the dreamer, right? Now, this is a point in our passage. I was talking with Kelly earlier this morning about the but God moments in in Scripture. This one doesn't say but God, but we can see God intervened on Joseph's behalf. Reuben hears of a plan. Reuben, the, the older brother, proposes another so that he might rescue Joseph. Verse 21 picks it up this way. It says, but when Reuben heard, heard it, so 
implying that he wasn't actually there when they came up with this plan. He rescued him out of their hands, this is figuratively, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. This was so that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. Now, Joseph is rescued even before hands could be laid on him, unbeknownst to him, right? As Reuben puts forth a different plan. So that's the second plan that we see in this chapter. Now, this is the son Reuben, the oldest. This is, if you remember back to Genesis 35, this is the son Reuben when Jacob was mourning for Rebekah. Reuben slept with his stepmom, and Jacob had heard of it. It's this Reuben that authored and presented another plan, saying, let us, not make, let us not take his life. Reuben tells them to not even shed any of Joseph's blood, but to simply or merely toss him into the pit here in the wilderness where there is no chance of survival. And we're even told in this passage that there was no water in this pit. Are we told that because water might have helped break the fall? We don't know how deep the pit was dug. Maybe the water would have been a a break for him to offer Joseph some security. Maybe the water was a way to him to have been sustained for length of days in the desert that he could actually drink the water that he was standing in. Why did Reuben offer up this alternative, this other plan? Did he possibly have ulterior motives? Was he trying to make recompense for his wrongs done against his father? I like to ask questions when I read these passages. We don't have an answer to these. But we do know that Joseph was truthful and he was honest and that he would report all that transpired should he actually survive and live. Did Reuben want to be raised up? Did he want to be the savior? Did he want to be the one brother that didn't go along with this plan to kill Joseph? so much that he would go back and rescue him? Would Reuben then be raised up, at least above his other siblings? We remember that the sons, Simeon and Levi, were the ones that shed the blood of the innocent in Shechem for their own gain. Maybe these were the the sons who wanted to kill Joseph and see his blood shed. They had hard hearts and were callous to others' lives, indifferent to taking other people's lives especially undeserving. In our text, verse 23 picks it up. It says, So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. So the plan of Reuben's to not kill Joseph apparently was accepted. That's that's what we hear happened. That's what we hear transpired. They didn't actually kill Joseph at this point, right? The brothers received Joseph. They took his robe of many colors, the one that he wore. We're told that, right? It's not something that he traveled with. He actually traveled wearing it. They took Joseph and they saw the plan through, tossed him into the pit. So what's next? What do we hear next in this account? Did the brothers flee the site? Were they so hard-hearted that they reveled in listening to presumably or possibly Joseph's pleas for rescue? Verse 25 tells us they sat down to eat. They were hungry. That was hard work throwing Joseph in the pit, apparently. Later on in Genesis 42, verse 21, when the brothers go before Joseph in Egypt and they, they understand who he is, they have a conversation amongst themselves. 
says, Then they said to one another, In truth we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. Joseph wasn't silent when they were throwing him in the pit. And he most likely wasn't silent while he stayed in the pit. Point D in your outline, Judah proposes a revised plan, right? So if you're keeping track of the plans, the plan to kill him, the plan to throw him in the pit, now there's another plan, and it's Judah who proposes a plan. Verse 25 says, Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not let our hand be upon him. For he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listened to him. That was a convincing enough argument. They're like, oh, we could actually profit even more than just not having a brother that's always getting favoritism. We might have something to gain from him. So they see this caravan of Ishmaelites coming from him. And we're told that this is en route to Egypt. So Judah has a plan. And again, he states that he doesn't want their hand to be upon Joseph, right? And he argues that he's our brother. He's our flesh. So he knows how to manipulate the situation, the circumstances. And he offers up, like, what if we just sold him to this traveling caravan? Sold him as a slave, right? This brother who was elevated above us, who had a high position in our family, who possibly, potentially, at this point, didn't even have to work in the same ways that they had to. What if we sold them? So what happens? Joseph is sold into slavery. Verse 28, the Midianite traders passed by, and they, speaking of the brothers, drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit. And they sold him, they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. So now this third plan of action of the brothers is put into action. The brothers drew Joseph out of the pit and what they thought might have, what he might have thought was his rescue, right? We don't know if he knew of the plan at all, but he's being pulled out of the the pit. There's some hope there for Joseph, certainly that he's not going to die in the pit, but what happens? He's turned over as a slave. His own brothers turn him over for his demise. What's happening in this account? The incredible thing to always remember in our life amidst any trial is that God's plan is put into action and always transpires in our life. We're told they took Joseph to Egypt. God in his omniscience and in his divine will has already prepared a plan for Joseph. Yeah, he's going to go through some trials. He's going to go through extreme hardships. He's being rejected by his own brothers, by his own family. He's being sold into slavery. He's being taken to another country. Next, we hear how Reuben understands in your outline that his rescue plan fails, right? His plan was to throw Joseph into this pit that he could come back there later and rescue him. We don't know if that was ultimately for his own benefit, but certainly it was for Joseph's benefit that he would be rescued and not killed. What does Reuben do? Verse 29 says um, that Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit. He tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone, and where shall I go? This helps us have some insight into Reuben, right? He certainly cared for Joseph. 
where he was distraught that Joseph is missing. He's wondering what on earth happened. I'm sure in the back of his head he's like, oh, hopefully they didn't go back to plan number one or plan A where they would kill him. He doesn't know of the other plan. He's distraught about it. And out of desperation, he starts speaking. Verse 30 says uh, that he's discovering what exactly is truly transpiring. He returned to his brothers and suggests that the boy is gone. Where shall I go? So a story is weaved and it's presented to Jacob now. Verse 31 says that they took Joseph's robe and they slaughtered a goat and dipped the the robe in the blood. This goes back to plan number one, plan A. They wanted to present the garment to to Jacob because Joseph was dead. So that's the narrative that they want to spin in this situation. So taking Joseph's special robe, it was unique. It wasn't one that could possibly be mistaken. It's like his DNA, if you will. Taking Joseph's special robe, a symbolism of their father's favoritism of him, they kill a goat. Why did they need to kill a goat? They had to sacrifice the goat's life for their lie, right? To scatter that blood all over his robe. They walked in deceit. They would write a new story. Now the family, the family had inherited deceit, right? It was a pattern going back for generations. And we don't even have to go back very far because we know of how his father, their father Jacob, was a man of deceit. Jacob had deceived many, including his own father, to steal his brother Esau's birthright. Verse 32 reads this way, And they sent the robe of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. So we're told that this, they've sent this robe of many colors. A little bit of a confusing passage. Did they send it? Did they not even go? Did they send it with a message? Like, Let us know if this robe actually was, was Joseph or not. Would belong to him or not. It seems like they were there. It seems like they accompanied it. But they weren't willing to carry it possibly. In verse, 80, verse 33, Israel confirmed the garment to be Joseph's. Joseph's certain death is affirmed to be true. And Israel assumes it must have been a fierce animal that devoured Joseph and tore him to pieces. What a horrific and tragic way for his beloved son to die. The brothers, with lack of concern and care for the father, or at least less concern for their father than themselves, present this narrative. Allow Jacob to assume something that wasn't true. And where does the story go? Well, we read that Jacob mourns Joseph's presumed death. Jacob tore his garments, he clothed himself in sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son for many days. They didn't correct the the lie that had been spun. They didn't go and confess that they had lied and deceived their father and apologized for breaking his heart. They didn't all of a sudden go and try and rescue Joseph to try and find him. They knew that he was en route to Egypt. Could there possibly be some way that they could rescue him and find him? It says that all of his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. 
So Jacob tears his garments and he puts on this sackcloth and he mourns. And he says that there will be no peace for him, that he will go to his grave mourning the loss of his son Joseph. All the while, God's plan continues to unfold. God's rescue plan perseveres is the next point in your teaching outline. God's rescue plan perseveres. Verse 36 gives hope. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So Joseph is rescued from his imminent death from his brothers, and he's now sold into slavery, and now he's taken to a different country. Joseph is sold in Egypt by the Midianites to Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh. So we recognize that God's putting Joseph in a place where there is authority, where there is power. And later on, we'll hear the rest of the story. Job, in a conversation with the Lord, correctly, finally responds to him in Job 42, too, says, I know that you can do all things, speaking of the Lord, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Such an important reminder for us today. Such a great hope that we have that God's plans always come to pass. We can mess up our life. We can walk in ways that dishonor the Lord, but he's faithful if we confess our sins and we come back to him to declare us righteous that we can walk in newness of life, that we can have an eternal hope to be with him forever in glory, but that we can be made right today, that we can walk in ways that honor the Lord for us, this side of the cross and dwelt by his spirit. The question is, who do we think we are, that we pursue our own will rather than seeking out God's will? You might say, well, that's, that's not me. I don't pursue my own will. I, I pray every day the Lord's Prayer. But what areas of your life are you not praying that prayer to? That are you not applying? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What areas of your life, of my life, are we saying, I still want to be Lord of this part. I'm not willing to submit it to you. Even if the Lord is so gracious to simply give it back to us and say, yeah, Go with it. It's a gift to you. It's a blessing to you. So what can we glean from our passage today, from this account of Joseph, of the brothers' growing hatred towards him, of ultimately their actions of sin against him and their, bro- and their father? We can rejoice in the sovereignty of God. We can rejoice in God's will for our very lives. If you would turn with me, I want to read from 1 John chapter 3, if you would turn over to that passage. 1 John chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 11. First John 3, starting in verse 11, reads this way. It says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Does that sound familiar from our story today? 
Verse 13, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. But this, by this, we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Christ gave us the perfect example of servanthood, of truly loving others selflessly. Christ, who was without sin, who was completely righteous, who deserved no penalty for any kind of sin because he was void of any sin. But out of his love, he laid down his life for you, for me, so that we might be declared righteous by Christ's work, so that the Father might see us with the holiness of Christ when we stand before his throne, that we can have forgiveness and hope in Christ Jesus our Lord. This passage continues on with a warning in verse 17. It says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. There's much we could preach from even those simple two verses, but our faith is not something that is merely to be talked about. We're not only to tell of our love for others, but we are to show it. How do we show our love for others? We care for them. We need to know them intimately that we might actually be able to realize and and understand how God has provisioned us to meet a need that they have. And I'm not just talking monetarily. The Lord has equipped you, if you are in Christ, by his spirit and through his word, to encourage one another, to build each other up, to offer counsel, to correct one another, to walk alongside each other through times of sinfulness that the brother might confess their sin and repent. So it leads us to our application and exhortation this morning. Now the Lord may already be doing a work in your heart just from reading our passage and and walking through it, and I pray that you respond to that. But I offer up four different ways that build upon each other that we can respond to this text Now, this side of the cross, as I said, for those who are believers, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling within us, and we have the gift of his word, the Father's word to us. We have great instruction, and we have the ability through Christ to be able to live it out in obedience, not perfectly, but by God's grace increasingly more and more as we walk in humility to the Father. We surrender our life and lordship to him. Point number one, desire to honor the Lord and faithfully obey his commands, regardless of what others think, right? There's times in our life where we honor the Lord and we try to obey his commands and we are we're spoken poorly against. We're disrespected, we're persecuted, we're condemned by others. But the Lord requires our obedience. I love the encouragement from Samuel where he says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? It's like God doesn't, he doesn't desire for you to be confessing your sin and returning in repentance all the time. He'd rather you simply walk in obedience from the very start. Now, he does ask us to confess and repent of our sin if there is sin in our life. But Samuel goes on, he says, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen 
than the fat of rams. In Revelation, we get the picture of the 24 elders going before the throne of God, worshiping him, and they're casting their crowns that they have received in worship before the Lord. They're declaring, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. The Lord is the creator, and we are simply and merely his creation. Let us not lose sight of who we are in the Lord's sight. Point number two, we're commanded and called to love others and to be glad for them. Rejoice with those who have reason to rejoice. Come alongside them and worship the Lord for his favor, for, their, for his mercy in their life, for even his grace in their life. Love others and be glad for them. Confess and repent of any jealousy that you might have. In Matthew Jesus says, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be, will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Then, we're go- then Jesus goes on to say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do you have that kind of love for your brothers and sisters? And do you have that kind of love for those who come against you and persecute you? for the way that you want to honor the Lord. Number three, we're called to serve the Lord, not with grumbles, but with joy, even amidst trials. The psalmist says to serve the Lord with gladness or to come into his presence with singing. There's a great encouragement as we serve the Lord to be singing a psalm. So I pray even as we worship him on a Sunday morning, some of those songs might come to remembrance throughout the week. There's a lot of ways you can um, recount and listen to those songs, whether it's on YouTube or, or your mobile device. James 1 gives us clear instruction. Verse 2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers. When everything's going well for you, when life is peachy, when we, we're pretty sure that God is granting us blessing and favor, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The process of sanctification in our life is, is often aided by sandpaper, right? Something grinding against us the wrong way. And it might be real oppression or persecution that comes against us. We're a proud people. And the Lord desires to do our, a work in our hearts. Later on in that chapter of James 1 and verse 12, it said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. There's a promise of being blessed as you persevere through trials joyfully. And lastly, number four in your outline, rest. Rest in how God brings about his perfect will for your life and his glory. God has a perfect will for your life. We should be pursuing the scriptures and praying that he would be writing his law on our heart, that we would walk steadfastly in the commands that he's given us, that we would be seeking them out, that we would be drawing in the strength that the Holy Spirit gives us to live those out. And that when or if we fall short, that we would be quick to confess and turn in repentance. So we read of this life of Joseph We read of how his brothers hated him increasingly more and more until it actually brought about this wicked act of desiring to kill him. 
But the Lord intervened and spared Joseph's life and set him on a different path. He removed him from that household, maybe as an act of protection. When you look at your life and you see God having you on a different path or on a different trail, is that the Lord's protection for you, as Pastor Tom reminded us last week of? Consider what the Lord might be doing in your very life today. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, what a, a beautiful, beautiful thing and a joy it is in the scriptures to see and to read the account of your faithfulness to an unfaithful people. Father, we pray that as your sons and daughters, we would never be anxious about anything, but in absolutely everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving that we would, met our, we would let our requests be made known to you, O Lord God. And that the peace of you, Lord God, would surpass all understanding that we could possibly fathom. Lord, that you would guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Father, we rest in who Christ is. And we worship him today for who he is. But Father, you desire a transformation within our very hearts. We know that out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks. Out of our heart, our actions also reveal the true condition of our heart. Lord, please won't you align our lives with your will. Father, please reveal yourself increasingly more and more each day so we would grow an understanding of what a holy life looks like as we see Christ revealed in the scriptures. Father, I pray that as we live a life that is pleasing to you, that people would see our good works and they would glorify you. Father, that any praise heaped upon us would be quickly redirected to Lord Jesus. That it would be an amazing opportunity to profess Christ as Savior and Christ as Lord and Christ as Sovereign, the one who is raised up, the one who is clothed with the robe that is more beautiful than any words can describe. A robe of holiness, of love. Father, we thank you for this message today from your word. Pray that you would do your work in our hearts and minds today. Amen.